If you're someone who has a passion for cut flowers, our environment, and wants to make the world more beautiful, you're in the right place. Whether you're growing flowers for pleasure or profit, I'm on a mission to empower flower enthusiasts and professionals to help change the world around them. Whether you're just starting out and need a helping hand, or are looking to scale a substantial flower business, I'm your cut flower woman. Welcome to the Cut Flower Podcast. So thank you very much, Marianne, for joining us. It's an absolute delight to have found you on Instagram and see what you're up to. And, and obviously talking about sustainability today and the environment and gardening, I'm really excited. All of those things are absolutely passionate about. So please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you and your journey and how you got to where you are. I'm always interested to know how it happened. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. It's a delight to have found you on Instagram. And can we just say how what a positive thing Instagram can be? I have I have actually if you're going to talk about my journey, I think I would need to include Instagram in that journey because pre um before lockdown I started putting my thoughts up on Instagram and that really um, led to so many things. It led to me being asked to write some magazine articles, which led to me being asked to write a book, which led to, you know, so many things can, so many bits of serendipity can happen if you start to say what you think and, and what you believe. So really, I think that this, the latter bit of my journey has been very much about sort of standing in standing in my truth and saying what I feel and what I think is important to me um and that resonates I think with lots of people and we were just saying before before we started recording that the amazing thing about the the life at the moment is that that there's a sort of sea change in how people view our relationship to uh the world and whether we can have an impact on it and I'm don't think that I always felt that I could really have much impact um, in a personal way. So my my sort of journey in terms of stats and that kind of thing is um, I my first degree was in modern languages at Oxford. I then went on to be a management consultant. Um, I then um, bombed out of that quite spectacularly when I had a, a child that died and that sort of completely... Ooh changed my whole world view when uh, a sort of a child of the 1980s we were uh, we were sort of uh, and I don't blame anybody else but we were sort of drummed into us that we must achieve and succeed and so you get the degree and then you get the job and then you get the house and then before you've got an amazing lifestyle and um, then you want to sort of success and all these kinds of things and I got to the point where I had colleagues who were um Subcontract when I was subcontracting everything. You have a day nanny, a night nanny, a weekend nanny, and sort of a gardener. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I never got as far as gardener. I, I do remember it. we had friends who had garden designers and thinking, sort of, whatever next? They've got so much money, someone else is designing their garden. That must be the last thing ever. And now, <laughs> how the world has changed. But yes, and got to that point where actually somebody else is almost sort of cooking, eating, and growing your food for you. So it's crazy 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 and so from that um, I moved to the countryside and completely retrained in horticulture in uh, garden history in garden design and then finally in landscape architecture so it was a long old journey and circuitous um, and I I'm not sure that um, I would advocate going around the houses quite that far to get where you want to be but you learn so much on the way and I have learnt many really valuable things and met some incredible people and I think that everything we do every day builds our knowledge and our wisdom and our ability to relate to others and our empathy and um, so I don't regret a single day but when when people ask me where you came from you, it suddenly makes you think crikey yes it I know <laughs> a long way <laughs> How did that happen? So, well, same for you, because we were, I was looking at your website and seeing that you, your PhD was in nitrate runoff, which, um, you know, these days is, is so very relevant, isn't it, to the whole cut flower industry and how we work and uh, whether we want to put inputs into our land in order to give ourselves beautiful flowers or whether we actually are more interested in a beautiful world 
and therefore yeah. how we care for it. Yeah, I, I remember doing that. And I remember, you know, it was clandestine. And, and, and I remember going to taking water samples in the River Lee at night um, and going along with my Wellingtons because, you know, I was a student and I was allowed to do these things and taking water samples and then taking them back to the chemical lab. And, and I'm thinking back on that now and thinking, wow, that was then was quite forward thinking in terms of, yeah, nitrates on soil, into water, into the water table. And it's, it's linked to being carcinogenic. And, you know, we're, we're fast forward sort of almost. Well, we are going to fast forward 40 years and we're still talking about it now. So it's, it's I kind of feel really filled with hope that now something is going to happen, that all those foundations of sustainability and ozone layers and what we can do in the environment has finally come back round again. And maybe the next generation are going to grab this and take this forward and think, OK, well, how do we have a better planet for us all? I think they are. I think also our generation, and I, I do slightly worry about some of the sort of your fault, our fault, because I think every generation has come into the world thinking the people before them didn't do as good a job as they as they do. Um, and I, you know, when does a generation start and when does it stop? I think that the, as the continuum. I do like the idea of being a good ancestor. So are we are we creating ourselves as being good ancestors and what how can we make how can we leave the world a better place? But I do think that all the people who did the Victorian and so on who did harm, they actually did think that they were doing good at the time. So we also have to be a little bit wary now of imposing our ideals in a big sweeping scale without really necessarily knowing what we're doing in some points because we might be making big mistakes as well so i i really believe in being kind and being gentle and it that it change starts from within really that if you can if you can make yourself the best person and make what you personally do the best per, the best uh, and make your environment the best i think that i would say that that's possibly best way to be a, a good and an ancestor um a good ancestor. I, when you're talking about the the water, I must just say that I um, I love the fact that so many people are wild swimming, because if you're swimming in the rivers, you really notice. I mean, I swam in one river, went just after a heavy rainfall, and got really sick because. And I later learned that that's when sewage companies, unfortunately, often have to let go a lot of effluent. And gosh, that brought home to me the importance of clean rivers. Um, and so many people now realise that, well, while swimming is very good for your health, but it's also very good for being at one with the environment and realising that we're just part of a bigger thing, aren't we? That we're just much bigger. Yeah. And I think and talking about ancestors is quite interesting because I did quite, I worked as a marketing director at Ironbridge Gorge Museum Trust for a while. And that was amazing. But of course, it was the Industrial Revolution that caused Ironbridge and the production of iron and so on and so on. And, and it was quite hard because we were going through a period of actually the Industrial Revolution caused all, all the issues we've now got in terms of the environment. But then if we hadn't had the Industrial Revolution, we wouldn't be where we are now. So we kind of have to not, we have to say that was then and that was the Industrial Revolution and we are now. So what do we do about now? So it's quite, we can't berate um, the people who created Iron, Iron and Iron Bridge because we wouldn't have what we've got now. But it did cause a massive issue so. pollution and i think our greed is a is a big point isn't it the western particularly the western world that we have so much and yet we want more and more and more um and i actually i've just read the Dasgupta report which is uh the sort of the economics of biodiversity and that's very interesting at the beginning because he says each one of us has a big gap between how we live and how we think the world should be and it's true for every single one of us. We can't um, we can't turn the clock back, as you say. But what can we do from now on? That's um, yeah, that's important. Or how can each one of us make a little bit of difference? You know, how can we, you know, use peat free? How can we grow cut flowers and encourage bees? How can we build ponds and have insects? How can we how can we do all of that? That will each one of us, you know, how can we rewild some of our gardens and make it all more joined up? I think that's one of the lovely uh, things. Well, just with the reaching out on Instagram, for example, that people are building communities, and in the same way as that, our thoughts all connect up, and we're more like-minded people thinking uh, in a similar way. So our gardens connect up, and I really like 
some of the thoughts like having little holes in your fence to allow hedgehogs to go from one garden to the other um, and having dead hedge if you can't have a live hedge so that again you're creating these long corridors of wildlife habitat and in my work we work on sort of large-scale regenerative schemes and we're often looking at how can you link up different habitats how can you create wildlife corridors and hotspots and um, increase the biodiversity and link it up so i think yes the whole community idea is um is one which we can all work on yeah definitely I, i've even noticed that because where i live i'm bordered um by land which is now being extracted for gravel because the gravel is obviously needed for housing we always knew it would happen it's by a river it's, it's a six to ten year plan and it's really close to us so that's fine you kind of live with that because that's the environment but what's actually happened in that scheme is that all the wildlife from that scheme has moved onto our land actually so that i love it but that's what's actually happened so they've had to find new homes very quickly so whether you're a mole a badger a squirrel a mouse a deer yes whatever it's all moved but it's quite if they'd have thought more about the biodiversity at that point they would have linked it up a lot better than it's currently linked up so um that i find that whole linking regenerative schemes one to another is absolutely vital yes and even when when farmers harvest if they can harvest from the center of the field outwards then wildlife can move outwards as opposed to from the outside in when they all get trapped in the center so thinking those things ahead so I hope with your gravel extraction that they have a plan uh, for putting back some wonderful uh, biodiversity afterwards. So they kind of. kind of, I would say it's, you know, from my perspective, I would say they have, um, they have a plan to put back a lake down by the wood, woodland. But the interesting thing is it's private land. So no one's going to see the lake. The lake is going to be a habitat, obviously, for, for the for wildlife. I am very sceptical as whether it would be biodiversity enough to what it was before. Right. So, but yeah, to a point, people, that was, you know, we fought it for 10 years probably on that basis. Um, it will be interesting to see what actually does happen with that. Yeah. But it, again, it's the environment, get gravel out, make a plan. I think it was a nod to the biodiversity rather than let's really make this seriously part of the plan. Yes. And we have humans at the centre of all of this. So I was talking very interestingly to uh, Gemma from uh, Building with Nature uh, the other day, who's, which is a fantastic scheme where they basically give accreditation to new developments. And she was, we were talking about the biodiversity net gain scheme, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but basically if a developer is um, developing land and is doing harm, then they can um, find somebody who's willing to do good and they can basically swap credits. I mean, I'm simplifying it massively, massively. Yeah. But it's a way of, of doing less harm overall. Um, and we were discussing whether or not um, the new way of doing it is uh, watertight, because there have been some issues with the carbon credit recently. People are saying the, 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 the carbon credit system is, is flawed. And, and Gemma pointed out really wisely that there are there is a human element to all of these measurement systems and the human integrity that needs to sit at the center. Um, whatever computer model we're using, the human element has to be the, the, the decision maker at, at the center. And so really what we what we need to do is not sort of make tighter and tighter ungameable systems. What we really need to do is to spread the ethos and the word that we that we need to do things with integrity and uh, maybe talking to your private landowner and bringing them on side and all those sorts of things obviously we can't change we can't change anybody apart from ourselves but just by sort of spreading what good looks like you you hope that people will become um keener on doing the right thing and also we can see the effects on our own health can't we if we if we have to sort of revert back to sort of what's in it for me and if you're living next to a site that has, um, you were mentioning nitrates that were, were linked to cancer, did, what, sooner or later what goes around comes around and it is going to impact us and our own families. Yeah, that, then when it starts to impact you, then you're involved. Yes. But it's almost before that, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like, um, yeah. So, so 
what are your thoughts on gardens of the future and how we're going to work towards sustainability and how we're going to work with drought conditions that I think we're definitely going to have um, and the whole sustainability. What, you know, if we fast forwarded 10 years from now, yes. will, will we have moved further forward? Will we be much more sustainable in our gardens? What, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think that we will need to, we will be sustainable because we'll have to be and the things which are unsustainable will uh well the word sustainable means whether or not you can keep them and we've already we already saw last summer the plants which we couldn't look after because uh they were too uh difficult to look after in terms of requirements for water and dislike of extreme weather so that will will shrink or change our gardening palette. And um, I think it will also change the way we garden in terms of making our gardens more resilient. So as to whether it's drought tolerant, or actually I think it's more just variety of weather extreme tolerant. So when we look to some of the prairie plants, they are good at um, surviving drought and wet so some of those plants came through last summer rather well because they they can um, they can sit through through both. The uh, the other thing which come, came through rather well was different styles of garden. So perhaps gardens which are um, more like a brownfield site garden, so less high horticultural, but where you've really looked. Sorry, I don't know what that sound was. Um, where you've really looked after uh, your soil. So by covering your soil looking after your soil deep mulching so uh, gravel gardens came through well last year so we're talking about your gravel extraction again but um gardens that have a thick layer of sand um even if it's builders aggregate so on our scheme we like not to waste anything so we also plant in uh sort of crushed uh crushed brick crushed aggregate sand um bare soil so I think though that sort of style of garden is going to be much more what we look at, but also getting our green infrastructure right. So it's, it was really noticeable. My garden is full of trees, actually not thanks to me, but thanks to the previous owner. Um, and if you have a lot of trees, it creates a microclimate. It holds on to the water, but it also creates a cool microclimate underneath it. In places with trees, we're much more resilient than places without trees, which dry out much more quickly. And that whole underground world of mycorrhizal fungi and roots and beneficial bacteria, which we're just beginning to understand, or we're just beginning to understand how little we understand even, that really made gardens more resilient. So if I was um, sort of advising someone how to make their garden more climate resilient it would be to think about your infrastructure to look after your soil and to um, make sure that things you plant are extreme tolerant as opposed to just drought or just wet yeah I think mulching is thing of the future I spoke to somebody um, who was a very very um, talented allotment grower like massive allotments and he basically said that last summer he mulched so much that he never had to water anything and he never weeded at all because the mulch was so thick and so dense and so water retentive that, and I thought, no weeding, no water. This sounds really attractive. Yeah. Um, and the no dig as well. So no dig, you start, as you know, you start off with cardboard and, and thick mulch before you plant. And that means that you haven't disturbed the soil. So you haven't let go of all the carbon, carbon. you haven't let go of all the uh, organisms and also the, uh, the water. You haven't dug it up, so you start off right at the beginning with a much healthier uh, root structure, which makes it much more resilient to extreme weather. Oh, people are really into no dig now. I mean, all of the students on all my courses, to lots of reasons. Obviously, water retention is a massive reason, but another reason is the labour, the actual manual digging, the old days of going out and dig it over is hard work. I mean, we would never consider digging here because it's a five acres of digging would be a no-no and b um you, the water situation would be mad yeah. so yeah. you're back and you're back your back doesn't want to. i read a lovely piece by mark diacono in uh, it was in country life actually this weekend and uh, this wednesday and he was saying how he whether or not the benefits his back loves it <laughs> 
And that's absolutely true. I think I read something last weekend, it must have been in the Telegraph or Times on Saturday, Sunday, about gardening and exercise. And it talked about, you know, your back and if you did no dig. And I thought, oh, this is interesting because people will do those, will do no dig for those reasons. And it doesn't matter what reason, just do it. And therefore, um, if that works, that's fine. Yes, your back and the worms, both happy. (laughs) There are some lovely projects I had looked on your website. Actually, I fell in love with the images on your website. Do share some with us, perhaps your favourite or your most challenging project that you've done quite recently. Um, do you know, my website really needs updating. So I, <laughs> I must have a look at it. But uh, from memory, um, the things which I really like on it, well, there's one image which comes up at the front, which is a lovely um, wildflower spiral, beautiful photograph by Jason Ingram, who's a, the photographer I work with a lot. Um, and it's taken at... Um, sort of half four, five in the, it's taken at about half past four or five in the morning, which is when he and I tend to meet and go and photograph things. Um, so you get that beautiful, there's the hope of sunrise. I love sunrise and sunset. So that already makes a wonderful um, point for me. But this garden is, it's a meditation spiral. It's a labyrinth actually, that which is based on the Chartres labyrinth and it's made of wild flowers. And the reason I love that uh, project is we had we worked on the garden for several years, probably five or six years with the owner, and she felt that there was just one more area that she really wanted to uh, think about. And she loves meditation. Her, her niece is a meditation teacher um, and a wonderful psychotherapist. And so I went to that spot and I sat and I actually I meditated and thought about it. And there was one really sweet spot. And I said, okay, well, look, I think this is a really sweet spot, an energetic portal, if you like, and let's put a meditation um, labyrinth around this. So we based it on the Chartres labyrinth. And what really excited me was that a little while after that, she had somebody who's an energy specialist who came to the site and said, gosh, who put this spiral here? Do you know it's on a, a cross between a ley line and a spring line? This is a huge important energetic spot for this land and it's a very healing thing to have here and so I was really really pleased because a lot of what we do is about regeneration but it's all about it's also about healing it's healing people and healing the land and we often put labyrinths and spirals in but um, it's much it's much more an intuitive thing about where it should go so if this person came along and said this is on a really important spot and you've really helped to heal the land that um was a hugely favorite uh thing for me and and really sort of gave me uh, a push if you like as tara brack would say do you need a little nudge and it gave me a little nudge to think yes um from now on we will really think about that and think about exactly where we put um, spirals or, or meditation labyrinths so that we are connecting the people, the land and the greater universe to, to really um, to really do good, to really help. So that was a huge favourite. And the rest of the garden's also lovely and has been in lots of magazines. But for me, how a garden looks is, is great. But I, I love that Scott Fitzgerald's um, quotation um, talking about Daisy. Um, he says in The Great Gatsby, he says, she was beautiful, but not like the girls in the magazines. She was beautiful for the way she thought. And so I like my gardens to be beautiful for what they do uh, and for, um, yes, what they do and, and how they help people and how they help the land. The fact that they are beautiful as well, that's that's great to look at. Yeah, I've been spending a lot of time looking at gardening and mental health, actually, and gardens um, and got really involved in that and talking to a lot of people and I've managed to interview uh, Professor Alistair Griffiths, the head of RHS Scientific. And that was really interesting. I'm going to meet him. And obviously, he's in the middle of a survey, a study, a five-year study on mental health and well-being and gardening. And I'm really, really interested. And I think you know, we've got kind of, kind of a lot of parallels. My daughter um, is training. She finishes in June, I hope, to be a psychotherapist and a counsellor. Through, but she wants to work with um, addictions. So adolescents who have addictions, whether that's anorexia or bulimia or alcohol or drugs or anything. But through, um, we've discussed a lot. You know what what a garden does for that and that and the well being of being outside. 
And she says, yeah, it's really great, mum, because what we're going to do is we're going to take your house and all your gardens and we're going to make a clinic. And I said, I'm still here, by the way. <laughs> you can inherit it, but I'm still here. But it'd be wonderful because it would have it would have all the grounds and everybody would be able to get outside and it would be, right, okay, maybe not just yet. Yeah, love so, it. Well, it's wonderful to have that energy and to also for you to have a legacy. I like that. Somebody that will come along after you i saw that sue stewart smith you've also spoken to who's a yeah wonderful wonderful person do you know richard claxton you might know a good person for your podcast he he's a doctor in kent who is also has become a garden designer but he's set up this wonderful network of um therapeutic gardens um i think you would love and the blackthorn trust i was a um trustee of and we created a healing garden a physic garden there that's a another yes so once one delves into these sorts of things you can yes it you can really find um good which is is being done and and it's needed it's really really needed um so i did a tedx talk on the power of of gardening and the and the planet and and whether gardens could help heal us and one of the things i found there was that um young offenders who work outside just 20 minutes of of raking completely Uh, raise their self-esteem I mean even for us if we go out and we achieve something I say even for us but we're we're no different for anybody else but um, people who know about gardening if you go out and you do something you you think yes I've achieved something and it was the same and I also love um, near us we have a super um, charity called the glass house in fact you can see some of the plants around my studio here they grow indoor plants in prisons and sell them um in um in cranbrook but also online and they also maintain um places in london with indoor plants so um in people offenders um nurture them create these wonderful plants sell them they also have ex-offenders working in the shops and working looking after them in um in the um offices in london so they're really rehabilitating people and also just creating this love of indoor plants and a lot of knowledge. And I really respect their knowledge because I'm an outdoor plant person. Me too. I don't have one indoor plant. I know. I'm trying really hard to keep these lovely things alive through the winter. And it's like big respect because it's not easy. They don't like the cold <laughs> the cold and the dark English weather. No, I'm not. I mean, that's the, people say to me, oh, what, what indoor plants have you got? And I have to put my hand up and say, Zero. <laughs> it's all outdoors. It's really interesting. I used to be all outdoors, but I was persuaded by this wonderful charity to try indoors, and I'm loving it. Oh, I must try that. What did you say the charity was? Green. It. Oh gosh, you. Uh, the Glass House. Yeah, Glass House. Yeah. Well, we must. Um, we must oh, have a look. Get at... her on your podcast. She is amazing. And now, of course, my mind's gone blank to her name. But yes, I'll send you the details afterwards. Lovely, lovely. Um, Sorry, I, I, it'll come back to me. It's like it's so exciting, isn't it? This world of sort of you start to follow, get involved, and then you go down. I'm like someone who works for me, Sarah. She works in a prison four days a week, and then she comes to work for me. And she, what she does is teach horticulture in prisons to offenders, Brilliant. and she absolutely adores it. And she comes and teaches on our courses too. But she's a very good. You can just absolutely tell she was made for this role. And she changes lives. There is little doubt that when they leave prison, they have a skill which they certainly didn't have. Yeah. She, she doesn't take any prisoners. <laughs> and it's like, this is what we're going to do. And this is how you're going to do it. And this is your future. And, and so there's so much. It's like um, I got involved with Horatio's charity. Oh, yes, lovely. And started, um, we did an advent calendar in December. We started to give some of the, uh, the we gave some of the, we, we charged people to lend. So we gave the money to Horatio's. And then I've got, and that came through Sue Stewart Smith, which obviously came through Instagram. And then I've got involved with some mad cycle ride in September across India, which I'm going to do for Horatio's charity. Wow. So it's kind of like you meet all these different people, which goes back to the community all coming together in terms of a common aim of, of you know, it's all to do with gardening and mental health and well-being and sustainability and the planet and I just wish I had another hundred years of my life of all the things I want to do. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. And also I love the fact that you've obviously done various things and you've got this huge energy. And you said that your daughter is now doing her 
her own career. And I, I was uh, recently talking to somebody, well, actually not that recently, but about the different stages of a woman's life that you have the, uh, the virgin, the maiden, the maga, and the crone. And the maga is like the magician. It's the magic which happens after you stop really um, full-time motherhood and your children have flown the nest. And then you get this another massive burst of creative energy, which if it can be harnessed and used, uh, can do so much good because hopefully one has a bit of wisdom as well. And so there's just such a power. And I love that so many people that I'm connecting with, and obviously it's probably because I'm just at that stage, who are doing so much good and trying so hard to um yeah use that energy to to good ends oh i've certainly got more energy now than i had 20 years ago for absolute certainty and you have more time in a a kind of way because i've got two daughters and they're both live in london one's a lawyer so she's doing her lawyer thing and one's obviously a very different psychotherapist couldn't be any more different and they're kind of gone and then you have more time in one way um and it's more time to sort of reflect. And I sort of think, yes, I, I get this massive energy because I don't want to run out of time. Yes. Say, yeah, yeah. Oh. You can also see how much time's left. So it's like, oh, yeah, better hurry up. <laughs> uh, make a difference. Yeah. What legacy do I really want to leave? Yeah. And if my legacy was that everybody grew their own cut flowers and we stopped importing them from across the globe and that we in some way impacted therefore our environment that would be my legacy even if it was just one percent it would be amazing i love the fact that you give master classes for free and it's that kind of pay it forward sharing which i think is is beautiful beautiful generosity of spirit but also uh sort of the, the go what goes around comes around i'm sure that you get it you give and you receive i, I always find this the more you give the more you receive don't you Oh, I get letters in the post. I get presents. I get, I wrote a book during COVID about, it was called Seed to Vase. And it was all about people's journeys during COVID about growing cut flowers. I thought I was going to write a book about cut flowers and it turned into their journeys, nothing to do with me. And it were people who had really had a hard time. You know, maybe somebody had lost a child, somebody had lost a parent, somebody, um, uh, was really ill. Another woman had MS and had to give up a career. Somebody else had had depression from working in the pharmacy sector, lots of different lifestyles. And they all wrote how gardening and the courses that I was doing at that time had changed their lives. And I was kind of like, oh, this is a bit, this is a lot more spooky. I was going to write about how you grow cut flowers. This is, this is something I hadn't quite imagined was going to happen. And quite humbled by it. And they still... They've built a network and lots more friends. And But honestly, I get letters probably daily or emails daily about um, that they, I don't realise what impact I'm having. So it's like, well, I'll just keep doing it. Yeah, I'll just keep. wonderful. Really, really wonderful. Yes. And then it's the why is what is the how. I mean, I think the how is very important, but the why is is what people can really relate to, can't they? They can see, right, if that's why you're doing something then I might I might have the same why I might have to do that yeah 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 definitely definitely and there's so many people want to be flower farmers now so it's brilliant yes yeah yeah <laughs> so more people will grow that'd be absolutely fine tell us about your book I talked about my book it's hard writing a book is hard <laughs> well, do you know what um, it's 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 bottom on seat time that I found the hardest to sit still if I, I have a bird feeder two bird feeders outside my window and I became very good friends with all of the wildlife and a a lot of my Instagram content became the fox that came outside the window and the because you have to sit still for so long to write a book and it's um I think that's the toughest thing I loved going out with Jason taking the photographs I loved all the thinking but um the the hardest thing is actually committing the time and weekends and evenings so obviously I'm running a full-time practice landscape architecture practice so finding that time was the hardest but so rewarding and as you say the the feedback that you get from people and it was actually it was shortlisted for garden book of the year it's called sustainable garden um projects insights and advice for the eco-conscious gardener and it's um it focuses on the philosophy as well as so the why as well as the how so there are 
lots of projects. Interestingly, the publishers really pushed me to do projects because that's what they wanted in order. They felt that people really want to be able to go out and do something. Um, and so I, I'm a great proponent of being as well as doing. So there's quite a lot of writing in the book which advocates sitting and watching and really learning and understanding because I think the best way to learn how to garden is actually by watching what happens outside and taking time. Sorry, say that again for the noise. Taking time to watch what happens. Um, and so the, the book does have lots of projects, which people have found very helpful. Uh, but it also has some tables on materials, so discussing the benefits of different materials. Sadly, the being part of the construction industry, creating a garden can actually do more harm than good. It's a funny thing to think about. But if you take out a garden and fill it full of concrete, artificial grass, peat, fertilizer, I mean, I could go on with misery. Um, you're not, <laughs> yeah, you're really not doing good. Um, so how you create your garden is it's important is as important as as why so doing yourself good doing the planet good and it all starts with kindness so my introduction says that really my style of gardening is all about being kind to yourself so don't have long to-do lists don't beat yourself up if your garden isn't as sort of in quotes pretty as the neighbor's garden don't look at magazines and try and create um something that somebody else has got really create a garden that makes you happy whatever that means um and by making your self uh happy being kind to yourself then really that's how you can be kind to the planet so there's lots of practical ways to do that um and yes it's um it's sold very well it's on its fourth edition um and it's been out for a year in march it will be a year in march yeah wow and already on fourth edition yeah. So, so I hear, I mean, you don't get all that much feedback, but you can a little bit, yeah. Amazing. You're right. It's about creating a garden that's right for you and sustainable. I mean, for me, it's water. I like water. So water and grasses. So I'm in my happiest place in water and grasses or a pond. I'm absolutely very happy with a pond. Beautiful. So They create such a fantastic ecosystem to have a pond. It changes the microclimate of the garden as well as feeding uh, creatures and I think what's really interesting with the pond is the different levels so actually I'm just watching a blue tit sit on the edge of a I even have bowls of water around the the garden just little bowls of water with a brick in the middle so a bumblebee can come and sit on the brick and sip because they want very very shallow water then the birds can sit at the edge then the uh, squirrels hedgehogs everybody else can come and fox can come and have a drink um so yes, it, there's all the different creatures that can that use the different levels, and also always to have a way out. So yeah. that if you're creating, there's always a slope that um, a newt or a frog or a toad can get out again. Yeah, we created branches that went over it, so things could sit on it, and created a woodland bit at the back with lots of piles of wood, so that insects could be in there. And, and and I created it in a way that I every time I go and walk the dog, I have to go past it. So I have to stop and I have to, and I created this seat area and thought, you know, I'm going to sit there and Make read. Make yourself sit. <laughs> Just five minutes to sit. I know, I know, but it's like, I know, I know, I know, I know. I will, I will, I promise I will. Yeah, your book is amazing. It's got some great projects in it. And I also noted that you were a founder of the Sustainable Landscape Foundation. Oh, my goodness. What's that? How did you fit that one in? Uh, so that is um, a wonderful thing. So Arit Anderson, who you mentioned Horatia's Trust, she, she also joined in the bike ride. So I think you might may have met her. Maybe, I don't know if she's doing the India one, but Arit and I met at, uh, actually we met on Twitter, um, but then the, we first met IRL in real, in real life at an award ceremony. And I think Arit was giving out the awards and luckily I was winning one and she and I just were just really drawn to each other, as though we'd known each other in a past life or something. We've just always been really drawn to one another. Um, and we were immediately just started talking about how silly it was that the awards were all about size and cost and glitz and not what the garden was doing. And we just said, really, 
the these awards should be about the good that gardens are doing it shouldn't be about um how glitzy they are and how much they cost and all the rest of it and that was the beginning of the conversation and what's interesting is it's taken us through lockdown we we, we had wonderful so you mentioned alistair griffiths he's one of the are uh, the sort of wider advisors we have uh, wonderful big groups of people who have helped us um and brought all of their advice in we've spoken to yeah, people in the house of lords um from the rhs from anyway, lots and lots of people and we also have a wonderful board of directors who are also very instrumental in bringing this to to pass but the uh the the, the sort of founding um ethos is that even by doing what we've done so far we've helped to create change so the award ceremonies now are much more focused on there are sustainable awards as well the word sustainable as you know is now almost overused <laughs> that people are, you know, yeah. are people are very very good at using it and the sustainable landscape foundation um we have a website we are early days um but we are we're going to be doing much more this year and there's a few conversations we've had just exactly this week in fact where we're bringing in some other really exciting organizations so it's a kind of watch this space as in terms of um what we're going to do we are cross industry so our point is we're not affiliated to um even though i'm a fellow of the landscape institute i'm an msgd and i'm member of barley etc so we are members of all of these organizations but we're not owned or run by any of them so that we can include everybody. We can be inclusive and, and sort of cross these different sort of silos and different ways of looking at things to bring everybody together to um, to work on really large scales, but really small scales and measure uh, and understand how we can do much a much better job in the construction industry of being sustainable. Mm. I'm, okay, I'm sure we've met in another life because my husband, my husband is in construction, which is hilarious. And um, he runs a construction business, like indu- like industrial sites and that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, oh, gosh, I'm sure we'll, we will be involved at some point. And if you need a flower farmer or you need a cut flower person, then haul me in. I'd love to be involved. Oh, good. Well, thank you. In any any stretch. So who do you think has inspired your career? Because you've got all these, I mean, like you say, it's like somebody you met in a former life. It's like, who's inspired you the most to do what you do? Uh, do you know, I didn't read this far down in your question, so I haven't prepared this after. <laughs> I, I, um, I, I'm going to talk completely off the cuff. I'm inspired by, um, so my husband's cousin, Guy Watson at Riverford, so he, uh, the all of those cousins, Rachel, um, Oliver, Louise, yeah, they they have done one actually, and their father, who was my husband's uncle, was the most inspiring of, of the lot. Um, John Watson, he set up his farming business and used all the chemicals possible because that's what you were supposed to do in the sixties. He wanted to be the best farmer he possibly could. So he went flat at us and then he realised that that was completely wrong. And he he was brave enough, courageous enough to turn around and say, this is completely wrong. I'm doing it a different way. And so he began the organic farming, which now so many people follow. Uh, And the Riverford guys have really stood up for what they believe. And the next generation, so Will Watson is now creating amazing wetlands and I've gone down and spoken to him about how he's re-wetting his land. He's a dairy farmer, but how he's going to work with dairy farming and re-wetting the land. So the work I'm doing now is very much regenerative, large scale, working with um, landowners and with tenant farmers and so on. So they, they they really have inspired me, as have there's a guy called Archie Ruggles Bryce, who's got beavers up in Essex. Derek Gow, who wrote the book about beavers. Um, those kinds of people, I think, are so brave. Um, Alistair Driver from Rewilding Britain. Uh, other landscape architects, um, Lulu Urquhart and, and Adam Hunt down in um, in Dorset. Uh, so I say, or Somerset, I say to people, if you're not going to work for me, go and work for them because, um, you know, they're really, <laughs> they think like I do and that's they're, they're super... Um, other people who inspire me, Tara Brack, I mentioned. So she is a thoughtful person. Um, 
she uh, look her up. She she teaches <clears throat> and, and is very thoughtful in terms of how we do things and why we do them. Um, there's a sort of Jamaican guru called Muji who I listen to, um, uh, Rupert Spira, uh, all those sorts of people, I think, who talk to us about why we do things and how we do them. Not necessarily business-wise, but it, it all comes together. I think it does. It's like a full circle. I mean, I, I have just um, stood down from being a board director of an agricultural buying group, which consists, it was a big one of the biggest ones in the UK and consisted of a thousand farmer members. They're all farmers, mainly uh, wheat farming and cereal farming because it was in Lincolnshire. But um, it was quite interesting to see how that's moving. And you talk about the land and putting wetlands and going more organic and things are going to have to change anyway in farming now Mm. to to move forward. But, um, yeah, they inspire me because some of them are quite forward thinking about what they're going to do. There's a lady on on Instagram called Farmer in Training. I really advise you to look her up. Um, And she is so cool because she just tells us her everyday life. There's another one far from the madding crowd. There's two people who I always check in with because it's it's every day the farmers are out there every day rain or shine and um every day they get up at four o'clock in the morning and it's really special to see how they do what they do um and how they are trying to do it better so organic dairy farming is what farming training what she does um yeah and they're just trying to make the world a better place in their job and i think that's hugely exciting Gosh, I've got so many people to follow. I can't wait. I get excited by the end. And that's where I get my energy. I just think, this is amazing. Wouldn't it be lovely? And you build another community and another community. So I'm going to go off and find those in any minute. So that's exciting. So your book is obviously amazing. Any other books that you would recommend any of our listeners reading? Absolutely. In fact, I keep meaning to do more on books or on Instagram because I am a voracious reader and my husband is worse than me. I will say worse because our house is, all our friends know, our house <laughs> is a yeah is a leaning tower of book. Um, so I would recommend, first of all, uh, Nicole Masters for the Love of Soil. Absolutely brilliant book. I would recommend Derek Gow's book on um, beavers. Obviously, I would assume people have read Isabella Tree's Wilding. She's got a new book coming out called The Wilding Handbook, which is a fabulous book. Sue Stewart-Smith's book is is fantastic. And um, Benedict, gosh, what's his surname, Um, who talks about rebirding, Benedict MacDonald, I think he is, rebirding and the keynote species book, really important in terms of, showing us what we can do. I'm currently listening to The Lost Rainforests of Britain by Guy Shrubsole. Um, I do a lot of driving, so it's really good to have Audible in the car. Yeah. Um, yeah, I might have to send you a book list because people are Oh, yes, do that. Book list and, <laughs> but I'm the same, well, though. I look, I'm sitting here looking at my bookcase. Yeah. I mean, I think I get a book delivered a day, I think. And I certainly don't read a book a day. So I wish I did. But I look at my bookcase and th- that's where I find some inspiration. And that's where I find some of my guest speakers for podcasts. Actually, I, I look and see what books I've written. And I think, oh, that's really interesting. I'll go and have a look at that. So, yeah, book list will be great. great. And actually, I'm talking at the East Minstead Bookshop on, I think it's March the 2nd. Um, so I think a big shout out. Oh, I shall come. Oh, is it when is, when... oh good. Um, it's, I think, a big shout out to our indie bookshops who stock all of these wonderful um, indie books, which is, yeah, so helpful. And because there's nothing like going into a bookshop and browsing, is there? It's just wonderful and getting recommendations. I love that. Send me that on email and I'll put that out to the group and let me know that you're going to be there on the 2nd of March. Okay, I will. That would be really good. Thank you. That would be fun. So what's next? What plans are next for you? Besides this big design practice you've already got... (laughs) And writing another book or maybe two? I do have another book. Yeah, I've just signed another book. So I will talk about that more another time. Um, So, yes, that's going to keep my bottom glued to my seat again for a few more weekends. Um, The Sustainable Landscape Foundation is a a big focus at the moment. We're doing some pro bono work for um, a local hospital, doing a lovely garden down in Hastings. 
we have large scale projects coming on. So we're doing a winery. We're doing a, a really exciting job re-wetting um, down uh, in um, Sussex. Got some love, couple of lovely jobs down in Sussex. I'm trying very hard to minimise what we take on, actually. So I have a fantastic team here and we discuss the projects that we want to do. And, I mean, we're very lucky that people ask us to do things. We're always supremely grateful that we get invited to do lovely work. And we are very careful to make sure that the work we do is what we really believe in. So that that's people who are very forward-thinking and people who want to do um, really exciting forward-thinking jobs. So a lot of about our future planning is just making sure that we, The Lion Tracker's Guide to Life is one of my other favourite books. And a quote from him is, we don't know where we're going, but we know how we're going to get there. And so in the studio, we're always talking about whether the projects we take on meet our end goal. Yeah. It doesn't matter sort of what we're doing, but it's how we do it that's important. That's so exciting. Major projects. Oh, I'm going to come down and see you. <laughs> Great. Well, if you do, come and see the Glasshouse Botanics there in Cranbrook, just down the road. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. I'm going to add that to my list. God, there's so much to do, isn't there? And that's the excitement and the energy. And you're right. I think now you've put that in perspective for me that I try to work out where I'm getting my energy from at the moment. People say to me, well, Rosa, how do you how do you do it all? How do you put it all in a day? And, you know, you're podcasting or you're writing a book or you're teaching a course or, and tonight I've got two sessions online and we have guest speakers and all sorts of things. And, and my day is fairly full and, and they say, how do you do all that? And I do I don't know. Maybe I'm at this stage in my life where someone's injecting me with something. Um, and it's like, you want to make a difference and now is the time to do it. And I definitely now you've put it in perspective and that makes me feel a lot better. I don't think I'm going mad. Well, thank but, you uh, for all the difference you are making because um, I think it's very inspiring to see everything that you're doing. So thank you. Lovely. Ariane, I want to thank you for coming over. We will stay in touch. I'm absolutely sure we've met each other in the previous life <laughs> and that we've both got so much to do, haven't we? And um, it's exciting and all, all of where people can find you and your book and everything will be in the show notes. Send me a book list. That would be great because I have an audience, obviously, in Facebook groups. I suppose my total audience, 30,000 people that I can reach now in terms of, of what you're doing and letting them know. That would be fabulous. So I will be following you on Instagram with interest. I will come down to your book. That would be lovely in East Grinstead. Send me that and the, and the list of books will be fabulous. And I just, it's lovely. It's just so, um, I find it so refreshing and rewarding to talk to people and give you so much energy and it's lovely. I, lo- I enjoy it. Thank you very well, much. Thank you very much for having me. And it's been lovely to hear a little bit about you as well and to find out what you're doing and good luck with it all. And yes, and I hope you get some time to sit by your pond and watch. I shall think of you when I'm sitting by my pond and watching. I should put it on Instagram and I should say, and now I've been told to do this. That's what I should do. <laughs> yeah. Give yourself permission. Thank you so much, Sue. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I look forward to next week's episode. Please don't forget to subscribe and rate and review on your podcast app. We do have some wonderful free resources on our website at thecutflowercollective.co.uk. We also have two free Facebook communities, which we'd love you to join. For farmers or those who want to be flower farmers, we have Cut Flower Farming, Growth and Profit in Your Business. And our other free Facebook group is Learn with the Cut Flower Collective for those starting out on their flower journey. All of the links are below. I look forward to getting to know you all.